and I had a large tarp going diagonal across the wall, and the heavy rain filled the tarp and pulled the wall down, bending the framing of the west end wall completely out of and destroying it. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 247 with Bill Knapp. Bill Knapp is a longtime member of my online tiny house community, Tiny House Engage, and I have been watching as his tiny house build has taken shape over the last couple of years. Bill is a retired educator, and he is quite skilled in construction and a lot of other disciplines. And he actually put together a really fantastic slide presentation that goes along with what he is saying on the show today. In fact, if you tuned into my Tiny House Summit, this is kind of like a summit presentation. So I highly recommend checking out the slides for this talk. You can follow along yourself. Those will be at thetinyhouse.net slash 247. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 247. We'll also be sharing the video version of this podcast. We, we don't usually share this beyond Tiny House Engage, but since this is such a visual presentation, we thought it would be nice for you to be able to just watch Bill go through the presentation himself. So that, again, is at thetinyhouse.net slash 247. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and if you do, I hope you'll leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with any friends, family, or colleagues via social media or however you want to share it if you think that they could learn from this conversation as well. Also, if you're listening and you don't follow the show, make sure to hit that follow button in Spotify, in Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen so that you get a fresh episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast delivered to you every single Friday. Uh, I publish episodes on Friday mornings usually, so you wake up and the new episode is there for you. And if you want to hear from me even more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash newsletter where you can sign up for the weekly Tiny Tuesdays newsletter. This is a roundup of Tiny House news, uh, summaries of the new podcast episode, and more uh, written by me every Tuesday. All right, let's get on with the show. industrial arts teacher who, after eight years of teaching teenagers general shop, printing, and drafting, migrated to teaching adults industrial skills such as pneumatics, robotics, and electronics. He retired in 2005 and managed his own construction company, renovating inner-city row houses and single-family homes. Bill started designing his tiny house on wheels when he purchased a scrapped 33-foot travel trailer frame in 2019. Since then, he has completed the exterior and is now working on the interior. Bill Knapp, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ethan. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. And and we've known each other for a little while as you've been a member of of my Tiny House Engage community. So I've I've really gotten to watch your tiny house build kind of grow and take shape over over time. And it's been it's been really fun to watch. 
This is my partner, is Leo. He's a papillon. Okay. And we're he seeing loves to a, a sit very on my lap dog. while I'm working on the computer. Nice. All right. Well, Leo, then we've got Leo and Bill here on the interview. Well, um, Bill, so how how long were you kind of dreaming of doing a tiny house before you found your your trailer frame? It was at least three years. Okay. I was uh, watching a lot of tiny house shows. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in my living room looking at this big empty house and figuring, why do I want to ha- keep all this when it's yeah. just me and, and my tiny dog? Leo's uh-huh. only nine pounds. Oh, that's uh, that's like, that's actually less than our cat who, uh, who is no longer with us. He was very old, but our, our cat was like 13 pounds. <laughs> Um, so you, you know, so you're looking around at all this space and was, was a travel trailer frame, was that always your plan or were you looking for any, you know, were you looking at utility trailers or tiny house trailers as well? Well, I'm an avid sailor and I was considering, uh, living on a sailboat versus living on a travel trailer. Okay. And it was kind of a, you know, which is best for me and which is going to work out the better. And living in the Northeast, especially uh, sailing on the Chesapeake, it's a lot of off-season time. It's almost six months where it's too cold to sail, and then yeah. people kind of hunker down in their sailboats who live aboard. So mm-hmm. I didn't think it would be too practical. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would imagine it'd be pretty chilly living living aboard all winter. Right. So what I ended up doing was deciding to go with a tiny house, and I was looking into um, buying a trailer, and I went to a a trade show that was held in northern Maryland, and there was a a couple of trailer manufacturers there, and there was also uh, companies that built terrible uh, tiny Mm -hmm. homes. But I decided I wanted to design and build my own. Okay. So when you got the travel trailer frame, did you have to demolish? Was it already demolished or was there a travel trailer on top of it? Uh, well, why don't I show the uh, PowerPoint presentation? Yeah, let's do that. So um, so for those who are listening on the show, Bill has put together a really wonderful slide deck of photos and, and reflections from his build. And those are going to be on the show notes page um, for this episode. And I can actually tell you, um, I will, I will announce the, the episode number and the show notes page kind of at the end, also at the beginning. Um, so I don't know it off the top of my head right now during this interview, but it'll be there. All right. So we were talking, we were talking demolition. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I put this PowerPoint presentation together for, uh, friends and family as a history of my. Uh, build. And then when you invited me to participate in the uh, podcast, I thought, well, I'll, I'll complete it and use it for uh, the podcast. So the first part is I had a dream. I then did a design and then I mm-hmm. started a build. And that's my planning process. Dream, design, build. And in the, the 
in between the dream and the design is a lot of visualization. I'm, I'm a visual okay. learner. And so I, I think a lot about what something would look like. And then I go in and put together technical specifications. So my dream in 2016, watching a lot of tiny home shows and, and seeing a lot of tiny homes in places like uh, conventions, was to create an off-grid tiny home that allows me to live within my retirement income and be able to travel. I love to travel, especially sailing. Uh, this past year, I was in Italy, traveling north of Sicily and the Ileone Islands. So that, that's my passion. So what I visualized was a home in the woods somewhere in Maryland. Mm -hmm. The reason for Maryland is it's close to where I sail in the Chesapeake. Okay. And I had this dream that I would find an abandoned farm where some corporation had taken over the farmland and the farmhouse was no longer in use and park a tiny house behind it and rent that little bit of land from the corporation. Mm -hmm. So the part of my goals in my dream was no mortgage. I would own yep. the throw free and clear. I'd build it using my own labor and only with available cash. And because it's off-grid, I'd have no utility bills and locate the throw close to the Chesapeake. Some of my specifications I then came up with to meet those goals was that it'd be solar-powered, I'd have propane heating and cooking, an instant hot propane hot water heater, a composting toilet so I wouldn't have to have a septic system, to reduce uh, electric consumption, a low-voltage LED lighting, rainwater collection and storage so I don't have to pay for city water or well water, and I wanted it to be safe. That meant, for me, fire-resistant. So I designed it with steel framing, fiber wool insulation, steel siding, and roofing in mind. Now, the reason for the fiber wool is, I don't know if you know it, but fiberglass insulation is extremely flammable. Mm -hmm. I then did a bunch of research. I looked into water storage and delivery, how to collect rainwater, how to store it safely. Mm -hmm. what's involved in solar components to build a solar system that's totally off the grid, what are the different insulation options, different types of heating systems, and how to cook and store food with little refrigeration. I then built some test systems. And the first one that I built was a solar array and the electric circuits for that evolved over time as I did more and more research on the uh, YouTube. So I started out with panels and batteries and a charging device. And then I added circuit breakers and a battery switch and some other protection devices. For the water collection, I looked into... Uh, big storage tanks, these big plastic things that you see on farms or that uh, yep. people who do pressure washing have on their trailers. And then for my water storage and delivery, since I'm a sailor, I looked at what we have on boats and how the pumps work and how the uh, 
tank is filled and purified, and then how do we heat the, the water? I'm curious, um, with the water storage in the tank, um, and maybe this isn't an issue for your climate in Maryland, but um, will you have a way to prevent that water from freezing? Is that inside of the cabin or is it is it outside? Both. I have okay. a 250-gallon tank outside that collects the rainwater from the mm-hmm. roof of uh, two buildings. And then inside the ceiling of my tiny house is a 65-gallon water storage tank where mm-hmm. I push the water up using a pump into the uh, tank. And I have not heated my tiny house yet. And that tank has had water in it for three years and is yet to freeze, even though we had temperature as low as five degrees. Wow. And what do you account for that? Um, the fact that I don't have any water in the pipes. <laughs> okay, I have there you valves go. right at the tank. Yep, yep. So uh, back to my solar system, and, yep. and we'll talk more about the water system when I show that picture. Great. Uh, I had a, a 30 amp AC panel that I installed, and uh-huh. I then connected that to my house during the build to give me uh, live outlets to use for power tools. And I put together a transfer switch between the house power and an inverter that was connected to the solar system. And the solar system has a charge controller connected to batteries. And I'm up to four batteries now in the battery bank. And that powers everything in my tiny home except for the AC outlets. And at this time, I'm not using the AC outlets for anything. I'm using the 12 volts for lighting, USB charge ports, and to power the inverter. So when I started designing the electrical system, I had a vision of four rooms. On the far left or the uh, east side of the tiny house would be a bedroom, followed by a bathroom, then a kitchen, and then a living room. And the living room would be the biggest room. The vision would have both AC and DC supplied to each of the rooms. And then I, I tried a couple of different charge controllers, I ended up with a one called a PowMister, which is an okay. MPPT charge controller. And you can see this is connected uh, in the picture I have up to my solar panels. And I'm yep. getting uh, off of three panels, 14.5 volts. And uh, on a, a overcast day, I'm getting about three watts out of it. Okay. So it's constantly charging my batteries. Right. And that's the key is that, you know, even though you're not getting a ton on those cloudy days, if you have a big enough battery array, you can store enough energy to get you through. So for the uh, plumbing specifications, when I looked into collecting water off the roof of buildings, you get a lot Mm -hmm. of debris. So the first thing to do is to uh, screen the water as it's coming into the big tank. Then I'm I'm putting a, a whole house water filtration system, which is a, just a, a big cartridge 
in line with the water that I pump into the tank. So the, the water going into the tank goes through that filter first. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to put the tank in the attic of the bathroom and all of my plumbing. And this is the other reason for the not freezing is in an interior wall between the bathroom and the kitchen. Ah, okay. So I don't have to run pipes in the exterior wall at all. They just go along the inside of the wall connecting to the kitchen sink, the shower, the bathroom sink, and I have an optional hookup in the bathroom for a washer dryer. Okay. And I'm using a regular boat DC 12-volt pressure pump to give me water pressure. As a as a boater, um, I'm curious: is there a brand or model of pump that you've that you've liked? Because I'll, I'll share. So I've been using small pumps as well in my tiny house. Mine is not DC; it's an AC model, but they burn out for me every couple of years, um, and that's with very intermittent use. So I'm curious if there's a particular type that you that you recommend. Well, I I don't know yet because I haven't actually. Okay. Uh, started living in the tiny house, but I did okay. plan for pump replacement by putting uh, an accent panel in the design. So the okay. pump is accessible over the uh, toilet, and there's a just a, a door to get to the pump to totally uh, replace it, and it also allows me to get to the water filter. Smart. So my plumbing design... It's pretty straightforward. You know, I've got the water tank okay. up near the roof. I've got a gravity feed down through a valve into the pump. And then from the pump, it branches off to the instant hot water heater. And then mm -hmm. from there, it splits up at the hot and cold water to the shower, the bathroom sink, the kitchen sink, the laundry hookup. And then I have drain lines as well for all of those things that go into a gray water tank that's mounted underneath the trailer, but inside insulation. Okay. Now I did buy a 12 volt water heater pad to put under the water tank and under the gray water tank. If I ever have problems with freezing. Smart. I didn't even know that that product existed, but it's crossed my mind that you know, my water tank is directly in contact with the floor and that, you know, it could get pretty cold there. Sure. Then my wall system, because I went with steel framing, mm -hmm. I had a lot of space to fill because, you know, unlike studs, it's not solid. It's a U-shape. Mm -hmm. So it took me a lot of time to put in the fiber wool insulation. And fiber wool is a fire barrier okay. that I've been using for decades in a commercial buildings. So when you build a, a wall in a building, you have to have a fire break between floors. And you can right. either put in solid wood or you can put in fiber wool. And that's how I learned about the fiber wool. And then... Um, I decided to put in extra insulation. So rather than mm -hmm. put sheathing on the outside of the walls, I put one inch foil faced foam board. And that okay. gives me the insulation factor. 
plus it's a reflective on both the inside to keep the heat in and the outside to keep hair, the heat out with an air gap between the steel siding and the foam board. Okay, so two quick questions. Um, when you say firewall, do you mean, I, I think that you're referring to Roxol or Rockwool. I think those are also names yes, for it, right? Yes, that's the brand name, okay. Rockwool. Yep, Rockwool, yep. Yep. And uh, I'm also a fan of that of that insulation um, for for many of the reasons that you've you've mentioned. And then my other question, and we might we might talk about this when we get to the build photos. Um, you know, so instead of sheathing, you've put you know foil uh, foil faced foam board. Is do you need a rigid sheathing? I mean, because I would imagine on a on a stick frame structure, you would need some kind of sheathing. But is it? The fact that your house is framed with metal, does that make it so that you don't need a rigid sheathing or will you add a sheathing on the outside of the foam board? I will not add a sheathing on the outside of the foam board. Mm -hmm. Both steel and stick built framing requires diagonal bracing. Okay. When I was uh, growing up as a teenager, they built a, a housing development near where I played and okay. they were using at that time back in the 1960s a cardboard type material and I okay. watched them put in diagonal bracing in the stick build because the cardboard wasn't rigid enough and then I guess they didn't pass inspection and they had to put regular half inch sheathing on the corners of the structure but I don't have to do that and, and you'll see it when I get to the framing section Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So then, then I had a, a really positive thing happen of good luck in 2018, while I was uh, looking online for used trailers or trailers to buy, uh, ad came up of a guy who started to build a tiny home in his backyard and he realized he was in over his head. He was an HVAC contractor. But I guess he didn't know construction. And I bought bought it the certain time I looked at it. And here's a picture of me bringing it to my home. Mm -hmm. He had gotten as far as a total demolition of what was a, a travel trailer. And he built a, a two-by-four deck on top of the steel framing. And then he had put uh, pressure-treated three-quarter-inch plywood over that. So some of the features of the trailer, it had a 33-foot long, it was double axle, it had a, a significant steel frame, plus uh, four leveling jacks. The original travel trailer had an 11-foot, four-inch slide-out mm -hmm. with uh steel rectangular tubes, one that fit inside a bigger one that gave them the ability to slide it out. And then he had built this two-by-four deck with the subfloor. It also had, uh, evidently written in the original trailer, two doorways, and so it has fold-out uh, steel stairs. And what I'm showing now is a picture of the steel for the slide out. So what I ended up doing was having to make 
new slides because uh, the ones that uh, came with the trailer he had cut off for some reason. And his hydraulic cylinder was bent and the mobile hydraulic system was missing. So I went to a local steel fabricator and had to make me new slides. And then I cut mm -hmm. out the two by four framing and set it with my own framing inside the, the floor perimeter so that you can have the slide out all the way in when it's uh, being moved. So the trailer size and stair locations established the parameter for the design of my tiny home. So what I've got up now is a picture of the finished outside of the tiny home with the mm -hmm. bump out fully extended. And you can see uh, a, a porch over the tiny home trailer hitch that's removable. But I extended the roof as a permanent roof out over the trailer hitch. So when mm -hmm. I uh, rented a truck to move the tiny home, it had to have a flatbed. It couldn't be a, a box truck. So in 2019, I started my build on the trailer. and. The first thing I did was I laid out with masking tape the floor plan. Now, I've had the trailer to for almost a year. Yeah. Everyone should do this and, and you should do it before, like, and do it early. Do it before you even have a trailer. Like, find, you know, go in your garage, go out somewhere flat and just tape out the floor plan. I love it. Absolutely. Now, I had the advantage of having done this in many homes you know i, I right. would have a customer come to me who had bought a row house in mm -hmm. the inner city and say can you add a bathroom on the first floor because all those yeah. row houses the bathrooms are on the second floor yep and so i would have to find a space at minimum of five foot by eight foot to put in a, a bathroom so i knew yep. what i needed size wise what i didn't know was how much space i'd need for a murphy bed and so part of my design has the back wall of the bedroom slanting out at about a 30-degree angle so that I get an additional four feet of, of space at the ceiling level that gave me the ability to put a, a, a full-size double bed in to the, mm -hmm. my bedroom that folds up against the wall. So being a, a handyman and doing construction i'm constantly replacing windows and doors and so yep. uh, over the next uh year you know from 2018 when i got the trailer to 2019 i started collecting things and i had the good fortune of uh, finding quite a few windows some of them were used some of them were sold at auction and then i also collected doors and the doors uh, were all used that I recycled for ones that I replaced for customers. Awesome. So I have a house in Pennsylvania with a, a good-sized backyard. And so I decided to build the tiny house there and then move it uh, to a site in Maryland somewhere in the future. So that's what I did. and. The picture I'm showing now is my backyard with my uh, ranch house mm -hmm. behind the tiny house trailer. 
and I've got the uh, initial framing started for the bedroom wall, which is the east wall in my concept. And the reason I call it by points of the compass is I designed the roof to be two-thirds in the south and one-third in the north. And I was originally going to put solar panels on the roof. And I continued with the framing, selecting which windows went in which rooms, okay, and built the frame in sections and then lifted it up. And if you look in the, the picture, when you get to see the PowerPoint presentation, you'll see yep. that in all of the walls, there are diagonal pieces of framing. And even in the short wall underneath, on the end, there are diagonal pieces. And that's what gives me the ability to not have to have the rigid sheathing on my corners. Right. Now, there's also diagonal pieces coming down, bracing the wall to prevent it uh, from falling over while I'm building it. But those were later removed. Mm-hmm. And here's my uh, back wall. This was the first design. And you can see one of the diagonal braces uh, on the wall, and it's set in flush to the wall. So I notched the, the framing stud to fit tight against the uh, vertical studs. And for those just, just listening, the back wall there is cantilevered out. So it's at a... You know, it starts at the floor level and it kind of goes on a diagonal out and away from the trailer. Cool exactly. Design. And that, that gave me an additional four feet in the bedroom and the four feet to go over the trailer hitch. So uh, I then continued to frame the walls. This is an outside project. I didn't have a garage big enough to put it in. So I would cover this with a tarp whenever I wasn't working and uh, use uh weights to hold the tarp in place and here you can see that i've got the the living room south wall framed out as well as uh, the bathroom walls Hmm. another thing i do with steel framing is i wrap the inside of all the window and door openings with pressure treated lumber and this allows me to use new construction windows to nail Mm -hmm. the windows with roofing nails into the framing because you can't nail into a steel stud and using screws it would leave a head that sticks out i also did the same thing around the doorways so that i could uh, put screws in the door frames and make adjustments with the shims to plumb the doors in this picture you can also see one of the uh, steel steps Uh, fully extended for me to walk up into the tiny home and in Mm -hmm. the bottom left corner i you can see that one of the jacks extended to keep it level here's a close-up of some of the steel bracing and you can see the way i cut the stud and created tabs to screw it onto the vertical framing yep you're working with with steel studs that you are these like studs that you purchase at a big box store? Or are these something that you have to order special? Um, can you tell us just a little bit about, about your steel? Oh, well, exactly. I see on this slide, you're about to Perfect tell us about it. For my disaster. Okay. I had okay. 24 gauge studs from Home Depot 
and from okay. Lowe's. And I had a large tarp going diagonal across the wall. And the heavy rain filled the tarp and pulled the wall down, bending the framing of the west end wall completely out of and destroying it. Oh, no. It turned out that uh, my design hadn't taken into account the fact that this gauge steel was way too weak to support mm-hmm. a tiny house. So then I went and researched uh, steel framing because I, I see it going up on commercial buildings all the time to hold uh-huh. up exterior uh, walls. And I discovered a local supplier that sold all different gauges. Uh-huh. And so what I did was I, I tore out the uh, bedroom wall and threw it away and put in 18-gauge studs and 18-gauge steel for the top plate that goes across the top of the studs Okay. every four feet in my walls. So the outside corners had the 18-gauge, and then every four feet in my partition, my walls along the sides of the house mm-hmm. was the 18-gauge. Uh, Later on, uh, I visited a, a manufacturer, and I also saw a video of another manufacturer that does steel framing, and they had uh, been using 20-gauge, which... It's more than sufficient for a tiny house. So mine is kind of overbuilt. I then did uh, started thinking seriously about when I'm going to move the thing. And in Pennsylvania and in Maryland, you, you need to have a license plate on a, a travel trailer and a tiny home. And there's a whole specification for travel trailers that you've got to meet. And I went to a local trailer inspection place and they They gave me the list, and so I I scheduled the time to take the trailer to them. And so now I've got a picture of, you know, I've got this steel frame sitting on the trailer, and I wanted to have the brakes and the trailer lighting worked on by this uh, trailer place. And so I jacked the whole steel framing up off of the trailer. Mm Mm-hmm. And left it uh, in the yard, set it up on cement blocks and, and so on. And then I took the trailer to the, the trailer store. And unfortunately, they wouldn't pass the inspection because they said I had to have the entire tiny home completed and all of the things that they had listed installed before they would do the inspection. So that that's a, a a gotcha for me. And so I, I took the trailer there, got a little bit of work done, but I had to bring it back and, and complete it. So during uh, COVID, actually starting in January 5th of 2020, I finished the framing, and I used 2 by 6 steel on the rafters. And I cut what's called bird mouth, which is a notch in the end of the trailer, to hook it Mm -hmm. over the steel at the top of the wall. And then I also notched at the peak and overlapped the steel so that it was screwed together. Mm -hmm. Here I did use rigid sheathing, and I put half-inch particle board over the entire uh, steel 
And then uh, I put a, a roofing shield on, which is a plastic material that comes in big rolls. And then when I was talking with a, a manufacturer of the steel roofing, they taught me about a product called double bubble insulation. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, double bubble insulation? No, tell us about it. Okay. So I installed that over the sheathing and then mm -hmm. put my steel roofing on. And okay. the purpose of the double bubble is to stop the transfer of heat from the steel into the right. interior of your home during the summer. And it does that through the fact it's foil-faced. And then it also reflects your heat that you generate in the winter to heat your home back into the home. Mm. So I went to a local Amish uh, supplier to find out about buying the steel. And he said, well, they don't make the steel there. They buy it from a local manufacturer who's an Amish manufacturer. And so what I've got up is a picture of the machine actually making the siding, and it's the same machine to make the roofing for my tiny home. And the machine has a series of rollers, and the silver pieces in the rollers are forms that bend the metal into the shape that gives the steel siding its rigidity. And it's a progressive bending, starting at the center of the steel and working out to the outside edges. And in the far okay. back of the picture, you see a, a red rectangle. That's a round roll of flat steel. And out the other end of the machine, you've got a finished piece. Cool. One of the advantages of going with this fabricator is that I told him the sizes of my panels and when he fabricates it, it cuts it to length. So I don't have to do any cutting except around the windows and doors. And so uh, my hardest part was figuring out these angles for the peaks at both ends to cut the steel. Mm -hmm. And then I had another disaster, which tended to be a, a benefit. I had a number of large trees fall down in my front yard. I have uh, an embankment across the front yard where the road is down about four feet below the embankment height. Mm -hmm. And during the summer, you get a lot of heavy rain. And if you get high winds, lots of times what happens is the roots lose their hold on the soil and the tree falls down. Well, I had five trees come down. And they were anywhere from 12 to 30 inch diameter. And I found a local guy who rents a portable sawmill. Nice. And he brought it to my driveway and cut up the tree trunks into boards. And I've got a picture here of him actually cutting one of the trunks up. And the reason I did this is it turns out that all of my trees that fell down are hardwood. Mm -hmm. You know, I have Fantastic. pine trees in the backyards, but this is black locust, and the stuff is like iron. And so I ended up with boards for countertops that are two inches thick. I ended up with boards that are three-quarters inch thick, and I had to make boards that are half-inch thick. 
So question about the the rented mill. So does the does the rental come with someone who knows how to operate it or do, do you have to operate it? Oh no, he wouldn't let me operate it or anywhere okay, near so it. So you the rent it. Was they to come do was roll and they the, do it. the logs. Yeah. Okay, okay. Glad to hear it. Yeah. He even had a helper who would take the boards as they came off the machine and hand them to me. Okay. That's good. And then the first stack of boards I stacked in my yard. And then I said mm-hmm. to myself, well, that's silly. I'm going to need to move this stuff. So then my second stack I put in my utility trailer. Now, keep this picture in mind because okay. later on, I'm going to show you a picture of the thin boards installed inside the tiny house. Yeah. And so we're looking at a trailer load of, of beautiful sawn logs in various different shapes and sizes. Yeah. As opposed to the rough bark of the outside of a tree trunk. Yep. Now, seeing a lot of hurricanes in Florida and in uh, New York City and some softer ones in Pennsylvania, you know, I'm very conscious about hurricane ties. And whenever I build a deck for a customer, one of the building codes is that you've got to put in hurricane ties between the framing and the girders that the deck is resting on. And so I bought these heavy steel angle brackets and bolted my framing down to the trailer. There's a bolt sideways into the vertical studs and down through the 2x4 frame of the floor joist. I also took flat pieces of steel and bent it over the top of the rafters, screwed it into the top, came down a stud, screwing it into the stud, and wrapping it under the, the framing of the floor and screwing it up from the bottom, creating a, a continuous piece to hold the roof on. Excellent. The next picture I have is uh, I've got the uh, rigid foam board going up on my walls, and mm-hmm. it's all one inch uh, thick. And you can see that I've got some windows set in and some doors. And this is the bedroom end of the uh, tiny home. And all of the roof is finished in this picture. Awesome. So then I I started taking my electrical design and implementing it inside the tiny home. Because at this point, once the foam board was on and taped at all the seams, I could start uh, doing uh, electrical and plumbing rough-ins. Now, in the drawing, I use the standard electrical symbols. So a circle Mm -hmm. with four lines sticking out of it is a light fixture. I have a circle with a little L next to it, and that is uh, my LED lighting. So that's a light fixture, but LED. And then the JD uh, is where I have uh, junction places or a box for a ceiling fan if I ever want to add one. And then the little line with an S at the end of it, those are switches. And uh, I like to build things. So when I designed this, I actually have uh, six outlets on the outside of the tiny house, two on the south wall, two on the deck, one on the bedroom wall, 
and one on the uh, north wall. Here you're seeing um, two features of my uh, electrical panel for the DC. Okay. And you can also see that one of the studs is diagonal, and this is an interior wall between the bedroom and the bathroom. And so that diagonal gives me a rigidity from the walls racking side to side along the length of the tiny home. And in the picture, I've got my charge controller, a couple of meters, my DC circuit breakers, an outlet box for switches, a couple of uh, bus bars, one for your ground or negative, and the red one for your positive, and then a battery switch, just like you would have on a boat, that disconnects the solar from the batteries, and that also disconnects the batteries from uh, all the internal wiring. Mm -hmm. In the picture on the right, that's a, a solar disconnect switch that's mounted on the solar array so that when I want to uh, change the wiring between the solar array and the tiny house or move things, I can turn it off without getting a shock. Excellent. This is a close-up of my DC uh, circuit breakers, and you can see that there are six switches, and they all have uh, LED lighting in them, and above mm -hmm. them is a round button. And that round button is anytime you get a short in your DC, it's a mm -hmm. circuit breaker. So you don't blow a fuse, it, it blows a breaker, and you just push on the button and it resets it. And then it's cool. got a, a, a voltage monitor that uh, if I see that gets down below 12 volts, I need to gotta turn my lights out and mm -hmm. wait for things to charge again. And then to the left of that are two um, charging ports. One is a regular car cigarette lighter style, and the other is a WSB charger. Okay. I'm, while I was uh, roughing in, I've got my water storage tank for inside, and this picture is showing a big white tank up in the ceiling of the bathroom. And most of my ceilings are the full 13 foot high of the trailer, whereas in the bathroom it's only seven foot high, so that I had this storage area. And uh, in the picture, you can see that there are uh, three blue handles, those are all valves that stop the water from flowing down into my plumbing. Okay, the one on the left goes to my future hookup for washer. The one in the middle is coming down to my water pump. And then on one on the right is actually a drain so that I can drain my tank if I ever need to. And then you see coming back up that I have red pipe for the hot water coming off the hot water heater and blue pipe coming off uh, the water pump for water pressure. The water pump is down in the bottom of the pitcher. And it's got a little filter to the left of it, and then a DC pump to the right. And that's on its own circuit breaker in that uh, circuit breaker panel. Nice. And then I bought my siding. And you can see it didn't quite fit in the truck, but I was able to get it home without a problem. And just to be different, mm -hmm. I bought red siding for the two ends. So I've got nice. brown on the sides, red on the ends, 
my roof is green, and I realized I couldn't put the corrugated uh, roofing on my bump out because I wanted it to be able to slide in. So mm -hmm. I had him make uh, flat panels, a green flat panel for the roof of the bump out, and a brown flat panels for the two ends. And then I used regular siding for the, the face of the bump out. Okay. In this picture, you can see that I'm, I've got a lot of the brown siding on, and you can see the development of it, where you've got the foam board, then furring strip over the foam board uh, every foot to screw the siding into, mm -hmm. and also I wrapped uh, the window in the bedroom with the furring strip. And then on the left side, you can see that this finished siding is on. Now, because I'm limited to uh, 13 foot six in height and eight foot six in width for uh, the trailer to be legal for me to pull it, I, and I wanted gutters to collect water, I didn't want to exceed that eight foot six. So at mm -hmm. the top of this picture where the green roofing is, you'll see that the siding doesn't start up at the roofing. There's a flat piece of trim that comes down and then does a Z-channel out over the siding. And that flat piece receives my gutter. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing on both sides. So my gutter is within the 8-foot-6 required by law. Clever. <laughs> and then uh, I went ahead and built the framing for the bump out. Mm -hmm. And I made a 2x4 frame just like the rest of the trailer did. And I filled it with the rock wool. And the spots where there are two by fours in the floor, there are casters underneath those that allow the, the bump out to roll on casters on the subfloor. And then you can see in the right hand picture that I've got my end walls framed and I have a, a large window. That's the entire width of the bump out for my living room to bring light in. Then I've got a, a picture of the finished uh, living room roughed in. And you can see that I've got French doors at the end where the trailer hitch is. My main door to the right, which is the living room door. And you can see the ceiling, uh, the framing, how it's two-thirds on the south side and one-third on the north side. And you can mm -hmm. see that I've got temporary plywood pieces holding the LED lighting in place. And I also have flat metal strips joining all the ceiling joists together to keep them from uh, twisting or moving, in addition to mm -hmm. them being screwed to the sheathing. I have uh, about every eight feet a cross piece across the ceiling that joins the outside walls together from left to right to hold them uh, rigid so that they don't bow out. Then I had another windfall. Cabinets. Monitoring uh, this website called Nextdoor, where people okay. uh, make announcements, ask for somebody to do painting, or they give things away. A lady uh, nearby said she was having her kitchen redone, and they were just replacing all of the doors and the countertops. And did anybody want 
something like 30 cabinet doors. And so I said, yes. And she gave me all of the doors, and three of them were leaded glass. And they're all beautiful uh, white raised panel doors, a variety of sizes. So I'm going to use those for all my cabinets. And it also came with three cabinets, two upper cabinets that she was didn't want, and a base cabinet that's one of those ones that has the the uh, shelves inside it in a drawer that holds all your canned goods. And then I started looking for property. After watching Ethan's show a few times and hearing about all of the, the nightmares that people are going through trying to find someplace, I said, well, maybe I better start looking. So three years ago, I started looking for where I could put my tiny house. And there's a, a couple of websites that advertise, and one of them is a permaculture website. And this lady in Maryland, Northern Maryland, had uh, advertised that she had places for people to park trailers or tiny homes for rent. Fantastic. So I went and looked at it, and this is one-eighth of her yard. That picture I'm showing with her driveway coming in from the street, and there's a an old chicken coop, and then an, an open space of grass, and then a whole section of woods beyond it. Yep. And so I decided I would uh, rent a piece from her, and we agreed that I would take a section that's uh, the south side of her driveway that uh, was fairly clear of trees. I had to cut a few saplings down. And uh, as part of the deal with uh, my rent is I'm doing handyman stuff for her. And she's got a lot of dead trees amongst all these trees. And so we cut down some large trees as well. Now, in order to make this wooded lot possible for me to bring my tiny hound in, I had to bring in an awful lot of dirt using my trailer, and uh, fill a pathway that was about 10 foot wide. And you can see the piles of dirt in the right-hand picture. The left-hand picture is where I cleared a spot for me to park in. And I put about uh, five tons of gravel as a parking space off the driveway and then mulch beyond that up to my tiny home location. Mm -hmm. And then I got overambitious and decided, oh, I need a place to work when I'm working on the tiny home. So I talked her into letting me build a wood shop. And so I brought in another five tons of gravel, put in a gravel pad, set cement blocks in it, framed out a um, framed a building that's 12 foot by 16 foot. And, uh, it's wide open in the front half so that I could have windows and doors, and it's all solid in the back four feet for storage. And then I used the same steel for the roof and the siding as mm -hmm. I had for uh, the tiny house. Now, in this picture, it's showing the finished shed with a, a gutter on the rear, and the gutter is feeding a 250-gallon water tank. 
and doing more research on water storage, I discovered that that tank's going to grow algae. So I then uh, found out that if you put a an opaque cover over the tank, in my case, I bought a green one, you will never have algae grow because the sun can't get there to uh, let the uh, spores turn into uh, plants. Ah. So I fixed that problem. And then I also have a water tank in the front that's just a rain barrel. When I had the trees cut up, I had all of this bark left over on slabs of wood. And and these nice. are about a good two to two and a half inches thick. And so I said, oh, wouldn't that be cool if I put that on the front of my woodshed? And you can see my rain barrel in this picture. You can see that somehow I screwed up the dimensions for the roof, and the roof came out too big by about two feet. Mm -hmm. So I extended it out over the front doors, creating a rain shelter for going in the doors Perfect. and cut it shorter over the windows. Perfect. And the doors themselves are about 100 years old, and they were in horrible conditions. Uh, they were falling apart, and uh, the paint was peeling. In a latter picture, you'll see that I repaired them and uh, painted them. And the plastic in the front above the bark in this picture is where windows go. So here's the current state of the shed. Mm -hmm. I've got a side door to come in, which is a walkway going to the tiny house. I've got my saw horses out in front in the yard where I'm painting my plywood that's going up in the ceiling of the tiny house. Uh -huh. And you can see a, a repaired door that's open that's uh, painted. And also, you can see the cover over the water storage tank in the back. That's that green uh, cover. Nice. So, my goal when I was putting the siding up on the tiny house was to move my tiny house before I did the inside, so it would be less weight, to this property. And that's the road coming up to the property in the picture. And I had to do a 90-degree turn into the driveway. And then a 45-degree turn into the path I cut through the woods. So I planned to do it the weekend of Thanksgiving in November of 2021. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends is a, a CDL driver. And he and I drove the route a couple of times and picked specific roads that we knew a 33-foot trailer behind a truck would be able to make the turns. And he said, I'd never get into this driveway. And so what I ended up having to do was I widened the driveway by about two feet on the right-hand wow. side with gravel and put a drainage yeah. uh, pipe in it so I could make the turn. And everything worked out perfect. I had even cut the embankment on that right-hand side <laughs> down so that the tiny house could swing out over it and there weren't any trees in the way. And we, we got the tiny house to the property uh, after a couple of small issues. One was the bump out kept sliding out because I hadn't yep. locked it. So I had to tie it in with a uh, rope. And then I got a flat tire halfway to the property 
It was about okay. an hour drive. And so I had to go okay. buy a new tire. And we got it in the driveway, and it, the tiny house was still having its tires over the driveway. And my truck that I rented got stuck in the mud because it had been <laughs> raining the whole week before. And we borrowed a backhoe from the next door neighbor, and he got stuck in the nut. So oh, you can no. see the tractor is connected to the trailer hitch, and the bucket on the tractor is lifting up the uh, trailer hitch of the tiny home. And so we, we scratched our heads because the truck wasn't four wheel drive, it wouldn't work in the mud. The tractor was but it wasn't heavy enough. So we hooked the truck up to the tractor and between the two of them, we were able to get it to the final location. When in doubt, the tractor always, always can do it. Yeah. Now in this final location, part of my preparation was I had uh, sunk concrete sauna tubes, which are, are cardboard tubes that you use for deck beers into the ground at six places where the tiny home goes and filled them with concrete. And then my jacks sit on those piers so I don't have to worry about the jacks uh, sinking into the earth. That is very smart. I highly recommend doing that because I, I didn't do that. And having to relevel the house through all four seasons can be a real pain in the neck. So then over the next year, as my customers uh, donated materials to me <laughs> in this first picture, you can see massive framing for a tiny little landing from my uh, bedroom door. And it's yep. six by six cedar posts and the cedar posts. A customer was throwing away. He paid me to haul them away because he had his front porch rebuilt with regular framing. And I said, I'm not wow. throwing this away. And so I used it to make two landings, one for my living room door and one for my bedroom door, and the supports for my deck. And that third picture on the right, you can see the deck going out over the trailer hitch. And that's just bolted on, and it would have to be removed to move the tiny home. The side landings are just sitting on the ground next to the tiny home. They're not attached to the tiny home at all. Okay. And then I built a, a staircase and I only have three steps on the uh, entrances to my tiny home, but the ground sloped away a lot. So at the end, I had to do double that number. And here's Leo inspecting my steps. Oh, Leo. <laughs> and so now you can see what the current state of my exterior shell finished looks like with the exception i haven't done the gutters yet and during the summer of last year it got really warm in the tiny house and so i bought two dc fans one is a grilled fan that i put in the peak of the bedroom and that's mm -hmm. going to blow hot air out of the ceiling and the other is a round fan that goes in a, a six inch pipe and i'm going to use that to uh, in the summer, I had it in the window blowing cold air in, and in the winter, I'm going to use it inside a duct, a round circular pipe 
that I'm going to put through the peak of the tiny home. Okay. And it's going to take the hot air out of the living room and the kitchen and send it down through a vertical pipe back to the floor. So I may have a couple of those fans to do that. I haven't designed that system yet, but I've, I've decided that this past winter, when I use my space heater to heat the space to work inside, all the heat is from four feet and up, and it's pretty cold below that height. Here's a, a picture of the uh, bump out coming out, and you can see I'm already using my deck to sit and have a lunch or to, to relax. And uh, my girlfriend bought me some plants, and they're hanging from the ceiling. Nice. And you can see my other water storage tank with the green cover over it, waiting for the gutters to go on the back of the tiny house. I like to go buy the uh, sale cart in Lowe's and Home Depot's, and uh, I picked up these exterior light fixtures to put next to my doors, and they were half price. I think I got them for ten dollars piece. And I'm going to have a a red light bulb in the right and a lead a green light bulb in the left. And okay. the whole concept is for people in waterways in the U.S. It's red right returning. So when you're coming back <laughs> home from the Chesapeake, you look for the red buoys on the right. Excellent. And I still haven't done the trim around the uh, exterior of the wood frame. I'm going to wrap that in brown aluminum so that I don't have to paint it. Okay. Now I've got pictures of the interior fit, in, fit out. Mm -hmm. And... I've just about finished insulating all of the interior with rock wool. And you can see in the picture on the left that I've got both DC switches and AC switches next to the door. Mm -hmm. And then an AC uh, outlet, which is going to be over a counter for sitting at. And then that thing that's got some blue light on it, that's actually a USB charger port. And it's a double. And then there's a DC switch next to it. And you can see some of the diagonal bracing in the interior wall at the end of that picture. Then uh, uh, my girlfriend's brother's neighbor was tearing apart a travel motorhome and throwing away all the inside components. And he asked if I wanted any of them. And so I got this black combination oven and three burner stove for free so i awesome. put it up on a wood frame to see what it looked like and it came with a cutting board to hide the burners when you're not using them and so because i didn't have to pay for that i splurged and i got an expensive sink a nice uh, sink with some special features love that then last week i started hanging those boards that you saw on the trailer and this is what it looks like on an interior wall. Beautiful. I cut rabbits in the edges so they overlap. And I'm using gold-colored screws to screw the boards to the studs. And that yellow outlet up at like five foot high off the floor is there for my TV that gets mounted right in that spot above the bookshelf. And then being a sailor, you know, I, I've got these nautical knickknacks. I picked up that anchor boat hook 
type thing <laughs> for my coat hook and, and hung that next to my fr- front door. Love it. Here's some close-ups of the DC switches. And it's hard to tell when you buy things from Amazon what they actually are. Some of them <laughs> okay. have round lights, LED lights in them. Some of them have just a little bar, and some of them don't have lights at all. And then it I didn't see in the spec that some of them were triple position. So you had an mm-hmm. off position in the middle, and if you push it one way, the LED light only goes half bright, and if you push it down, it goes full bright. So I was uh, surprised that when I found that out, and so I put the one that's got the three positions in my bedroom. But what they don't have is the ability to mount these things in a regular electrical box. Mm. So I ended up having to fabricate my own plates for the switches to fit into. So I, I drilled holes in the, with a hole saw and then used tin snips and cut the holes into rectangles. They look great. So this is the underside of the trailer, the picture, and you can still you can see the massiveness of the steel framing as compared to the two by four framing. Yeah. And there's two things the guy didn't do when he did this. I would have put a vapor barrier between the subfloor and the framing. He didn't do that. Yeah. So I'm going to have to somehow wrap all of those rectangular spaces with a vapor barrier. Mm. And then I'm going to fill them with the rock wall. And then I'm going to put foam board below that. And I may even come all the way down to the bottom of the steel and put uh, some kind of a a solid surface material under the trailer to keep the foam board from being damaged. And that will give me a a good six inches of airspace blocking uh, the, the weather from the foam board. So my next steps is, is to do all that, then install the balance of the wall coverings in the, all the rooms, and then start creating furniture from all that lumber that's uh, piled up, and install my plumbing fixtures and my uh, gray water tank, and then build a Murphy bed in the bedroom, and then move in. Fantastic. What a what a thorough presentation. This is, I think, going to give people a lot of inspiration and just specifics on how you did everything. I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, how much have you spent thus far? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> you know, um, like a guesstimate? I, I had a budget, and then I'm only buying stuff with cash. Okay. And so what I've been doing is when I do a job for somebody and I get mm-hmm. a few extra dollars, I buy some material. And nice. so I have okay. a, a, a box full of receipts that I've got to total up. So okay. I'll post the, uh, the cost up on uh, my uh, log of my build when I okay. get it all totaled. I know that I'm under... $5,000 when I finish the framing. Nice. Yeah, and you then, can really, you can do pretty well when you're, when you're collecting materials for yeah. free or for cheap. Um, 
that that saves a lot, especially those windows and doors. Yeah, the Rockwell really set me back. The, yeah. the, the COVID has just pushed the roof of the Rockwell through unbelievable prices. I think I'm paying eighty dollars a bundle now. Wow! Wow! And it, and it took four bundles just to do the living room and, and the kitchen walls. And then it, it was like eight bundles of the thicker rock wool to do the rafters. Yeah. Well, Bill, this, this has been fantastic. Um, I thank you so much. And, and people can, again, check out the show notes for the episode where they can see, we'll embed the PowerPoint presentation. And we might also just share the video um, publicly. People can kind of watch you go through it. Can't thank you enough. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much to Bill Knapp for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including all of those slides, all the images that Bill was looking at and we were talking about. There's so much great detail in what he shares. So I definitely recommend heading over to thetinyhouse.net slash 247 to check out the show notes and check out that PowerPoint presentation. There you'll also find a video version of today's interview. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 247. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.